In March of 2022, our family was forced to evacuate from Ukraine. We have served as missionaries in Lviv for over 20 years, and now, like so many others, we find ourselves suddenly displaced from our home, our church, and our precious Ukrainian friends. But despite the shock of evacuation, God is opening doors and leading us step by step down this new path. Our purpose is to bless and minister to Ukrainians affected by the war. Come with us as we share our stories, striving to serve God, bless people, and praying that someday soon, this journey will lead us back to our beloved Ukraine. Well, hello everybody, Joshua and Kelsey here. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the Journey to Ukraine podcast. I wanna start today by saying how thankful we are to those of you who follow our family and our work in Ukraine. I know we don't put out as many of these episodes or as often as we probably should, but we're very grateful for the love and support that we receive from you guys. It is a real encouragement to us as we labor here. Yes, and today is kind of a special episode as we have some news to announce. So as many of you know, we have been facing a decision about when, or even if, our family would return to Ukraine on a permanent basis. And over the past many weeks, uh, Joshua and I have had many long discussions. We have asked for counsel, um, both from friends in Ukraine and friends in the U.S. and, and around. And Joshua in particular has followed the news very closely and follows many geopolitical commentators and of course, we have prayed uh, for clear direction from God that he would show us you know, what we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, also, recently we made two trips to Ukraine. In the, in, a, in the last month, we've made two trips and multiple trips before that by various members of the family. And so we feel like we've gotten to see firsthand what things are like in Western Ukraine. And so the result of all this is that, drum roll please, our family will be returning to live in Ukraine at the beginning of June. Yay. So we are feeling excited about this and hopeful and, of course, prayerful. Yes. So a little bit about how that's going to come down. We plan to move in a few waves. Um, It's not realistic to transport all our things and people over the border in one passenger van. Nope. So uh, Josh will probably be taking one trip to Ukraine in a few weeks to take the first wave of stuff and a couple of children. We like to. It's it's suspicious looking at the border if you show up with one man and one vehicle ch- chock full of things. Um, so we want to kind of spread it out and take some kids with us. Then the plan is to transition our whole family to Ukraine around June the seventh. That date could move a little bit one way or another, but that's that's kind of what we're aiming for. We have a friend, Pastor Vladislav. He's an associate pastor from our church in Ukraine, and he has offered to bring the church van and to meet us here in Jelena and help us get back over the border with our stuff. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge blessing. So we'll actually have two mostly empty vehicles at that point. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, Josh is going to be traveling right back to Slovakia to wrap up the details with our rental house and get it ready to give back to the owner. So between now and the move... As you can imagine, there's a lot of loose ends to wrap up, a lot of to-dos, and we've got many goodbyes to say as well. that's right. So this is a busy emotional time for our family, and it involves yet another big change. So that just comes with challenges. So we would greatly appreciate your prayers for us, and especially that God would just smooth all the details of this international move 
And in particular, prayers for transporting things over the borders, that's not simple. And sometimes they require import taxes on bigger items. Um, You can get blindsided with requirements you didn't know about. Or even things like getting vitamins and supplements across the border can be a bit sticky. So we appreciate prayers for those details. And just for all the the things our family is is getting ready for and doing at this time. So we're grateful for those of you who are praying for us. very much. So there you have the bare bones facts about our plan to move to Ukraine. But Josh, let's hear some from you now about the why behind our decision. So what were some of the thoughts that tipped the scales in favor of Ukraine? Right. And I realize that that's something that many of our listeners may be asking, like, why? What are, what are you thinking? Are you out of your minds? And all joking aside, we realize that not everyone will understand or even agree with our decision to return. And that's okay. But for those of you who may be worried at the thought of a family with young children moving to Ukraine, we want to just share a few words uh, from our perspective about the nature of this decision and why we made it. Although the war shows no signs of ending soon, we do believe that Lviv today is relatively safe. Um, And I say that as a father, as someone who loves my family Mm -hmm. very dearly, and as someone who would never knowingly put my family in harm's way. Um, Now, in a sense, in our modern world, it's impossible to live without doing that. There's an argument to be made that every time you you get on the interstate in your car with your kids, you're placing them in harm's way. But as I think everyone understands, we have to live our lives knowing that uh, that involves taking reasonable risks. And I think that's the crux, is that we feel like going back to Lviv and living there Um, while risky in a sense, yes, is a reasonable risk. To give Mm -hmm. you a few concrete examples, um, the power outages, which were so painful during the winter, have long been over. Uh, There was a time, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, when many people in Ukraine were uh, without power for very long stretches, depending on where you are or where you were in the country. There were some areas that only had maybe one hour in 24 of power. Um, Lviv was never that bad. We had schedules where we would be without power for usually for a block of four hours, and then we would have four to eight hours with power and then out again for four and so forth. But that has not been an issue since I think sometime in early February was when that started to come back online. Um, And for us, uh, while that's not really a safety uh, concern, the power outage actually was a major factor in our decision making. Back in the in the winter months, we were really looking at that because as a large family that homeschools and a lot of our ministry work uh, requires an internet connection and a computer and so forth, um, trying to live uh, with our family and do our ministry in Ukraine under those kinds of uh, circumstances would be quite difficult. But happily, um, Ukraine has bounced back very quickly, much, much sooner, I think, than most people expected yes. and has been able mm-hmm. to repair... Um, their power grid to the point that they um, can supply power to uh, all their consumers. Another uh, data point here is that Russia is widely believed to be running very low on the kinds of precision long-range missiles that are required uh, to hit places further from their positions like Lviv and other western regions of Ukraine. And while uh, you know there, there is constant debate about how many shells or missiles or planes or whatever Russia has remaining, and that's hard to know for sure, um, 
the realities on the ground do do seem to bear that out in that uh, we are not seeing nearly the number of missile strikes. In fact, there was recently a strike on Ukraine that was, before it happened, it was hyped up to be another mass missile barrage like the ones we were seeing in late 2022 and early 2023. Um, people, There were rumors going around that there was going to be something like 100 missiles launched. And in the end result, there were 18 missiles launched and 15 of them were shot down. So mm-hmm. that, that to me is a very good indicator. Um, and that's not, a, that's not a standalone situation. There are others, but that's a good indicator of the limited or the reduced capabilities that Russia has uh, in these days. Lviv uh, at this point is not a strategic target for them. It doesn't do them a whole lot of good to lob very expensive uh, mm-hmm. cruise missiles at Lviv or those those regions. They've got much bigger problems, uh, much closer to the front lines. Right. Um, we've not had a strike near the city for several months. Now, there was a strike in the Lviv Oblast that some of you may remember that hit a house and there were some people that died and that's that's terrible. But I believe that was something like 50 kilometers from the city. And that aside, there's not been anything even close to Lviv for quite a long time. We do still get air raid sirens, but they are very infrequent. And most of the time, I would say 90% of the air raid sirens that affect the Lviv Oblast are turned on across the whole country because a MiG-31 plane will take off from, uh, say, Belarus or someplace. And since that plane is capable of carrying the hypersonic uh, missiles, they can't know for sure where it's going to, where it would fire if it in fact fired. And so they'll turn the alert on for the whole country. But usually the alert comes on, the plane takes off, it, it flies around, and then the plane lands and they, they, uh, they give us the all clear. I want to also say that in making this decision, and Kelsey alluded to this as well, we sought counsel from many sources uh, in Ukraine and abroad. We talked with uh, church leaders and friends and certainly people who are on the ground in Ukraine, uh, some people who at once, at one point had advised us not to come back, uh, but then later have revised that and said, you know what, things have gone well and we think Lviv is safe. Um, and to those who have given counsel, we just want to say that we are very grateful to you for the input and advice we received. Regardless, there were some people that in so many words advised us not to go back. Um, there were others that uh, that said they thought it was it was fine. But regardless, we're very grateful. The Bible yes. says that um, that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And that's something that we wanted to leverage and we're, we're glad that we did and that helped us to reach the decision that we made. Um, now, I realize that some of you may also be thinking, well, okay, you know, you're talking about Lviv being safe today and all of that, but the war is ongoing, and even if Lviv is safe right now, things could change. And of course, that's very true. They might change. No future on earth uh, is certain, but we cannot remain any longer on the sidelines simply because of what might happen someday. There's all kinds of rumors coming down the pike all the time about Russia may do this. We're Right now, we're, we're coming up to the, um, the May 9th victory parade that the Russians always hold in Moscow. And of course, there's lots of uh, thoughts about what they might try to do. Quite honestly, I don't think they're going to do anything because they, as we'll talk about in a few minutes here, I think they're very concerned about the imminent um, Ukrainian counteroffensive. 
But the point is that the door is open now. The need is great, and we believe that our family is well-positioned to serve. Um, as you know, we're not new in Ukraine. I've been there for well over 20 years. We know the language. We have contacts. We have resources. We want to be there close to where the need is so that we can minister and we can serve more effectively. So I could, of course, go on, but the real bottom line here is that we believe God is leading us back to Ukraine, and we intend to follow that lead. Yeah, I don't know who this quote is attributed to, but people often say that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And in our case, we go to Ukraine believing that safety in Lviv is not actually a major concern. Um, But our desire is still to be where God wants us to be and to do what we can to minister and to trust him to continue to take care of us as he has done so well. So moving on, uh, Joshua, can you give us a summary of the latest in war news? Yes. Uh, wow. The the news is is voluminous. Um, it's even if you spend all your time just following the Ukraine war, which by the way I don't, but if, <laughs> if a person did, you you could follow it full time, do nothing else. That could be your full time job, and you still wouldn't get it all. Um, I would say right now, um, if you want to know the hottest area of the fighting, that remains Bakhmut, the city in the far east of Ukraine. The Russians keep pushing bit by bit, losing just incredible amounts of of soldiers um, in in the process. And Ukrainian soldiers are also perishing. Um, But they're moving very, very slowly, pushing the Ukrainians kind of further and further west across the city. They still have not been able to fully take over um, Bakhmut. And now, in case you haven't heard, um, Yevhenyi Prigozhin, who is the head of the Wagner uh, private military group that's that's primarily been the main force fighting in Bakhmut. He has really had a falling out with the Russian uh, military authorities. They've not been supplying him with weapons, or at least that's what he says. And he now claims that he will be pulling his forces out of Bakhmut on May 10th. Now, in case, uh, just so you don't get excited too quickly, that doesn't mean that the city is just going to go back to Ukraine by default. There are regular Russian army forces there alongside the uh, the Wagner fighters. So presumably, if and when Wagner does pull out, um, the regular Russian army will continue fighting, and it's hard to know when that issue will be resolved. But the bottom line is that, for better or for worse, Bakhmut still holds. And um, I think that it's been said many times that the, the Russians are trying very hard to take Bakhmut before the May 9th parade. I honestly don't think they're going to be able to do it. They're their forces are so incapable and um, so disorganized. I, I don't think it's going to mm-hmm. be possible. And the Ukrainians, for all their losses, are well entrenched there on the west side of the city. Um, I believe it was two nights ago, um, the Wagner forces firebombed the west side of the city, and there was just some hellish video that came out on on a lot of the uh, on a lot of the military blogs. Um, showing the result of phosphorus bombing all across the west of Ukraine, which, if I'm not mistaken, is considered an illegal weapon of war that's that's forbidden by the Geneva Convention. Mm. But nonetheless, they just rained down firebombs all across the city. Um, I know there were casualties on the Ukrainian side as a result. Um, but again, the bottom line is the Ukrainians continue to hold the city of Bakhmut. It's very difficult. It's some of the worst and most violent fighting that we've seen in the war. Um, the other bit of big news, of course, is the imminent counteroffensive. Based on the information that I am seeing, it would appear that Ukraine has assembled probably 98, if not 100 percent 
of the weapons and equipment, the armored vehicles, tanks, all of those things that they requested and that the Allies have supplied them, which are needed to mount the counteroffensive. Um, and we don't know when that counteroffensive will come, where it will come. Of course, that's a very closely held secret. And um, it's it's widely believed that right now they're just waiting for the weather to turn because it's been very wet uh, in eastern and southern Ukraine. The ground is still very soft, and you can't uh, you can't drive tanks across the open fields if they're muddy. You just get bogged down. And you don't want to drive your tanks if you're going to go on the offensive. You don't want to make the mistakes that the Russians made in the early days of the war of driving your tanks down roads in nice, neat columns where they can just be picked off. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think that once the once the ground has a chance to solidify, which or to, to dry, which could be you know within days or a couple of weeks, maybe, I think we'll probably see some some uh, big moves. Where that will come, a lot of people um, are putting their money on the southern direction, down towards the Kherson region um, and Zaporizhia, perhaps pushing pushing around <clears throat> the uh, the east side of Dnipro. It's up there by the. Um, nuclear power plant and Anerhodar, if you come down, if you come around uh, the east side of that, <clears throat> they could push south right down to the city of Malitopol, which would put them in a great position to cut off supplies both to the Kherson regions and to Crimea. But regardless, I think that's going to be something to watch. Keep your ears and eyes uh, open in the coming days and weeks, and I think we're going to see some some big stuff from the from the Ukrainians. Um, some of you may remember our friend Sadhichapara, who is serving with the UAF in Odessa. We were recently speaking, and I commented uh, that I was concerned about the American public growing forgetful or even apathetic about the war, and said he commented to me that this is even a problem in some regions in Ukraine, especially the West, Um, the, the issue being that the war, even for Ukrainians, for some, has become kind of just another news item that they watch on TV. It's something that's happening far away from them. It doesn't directly impact their daily lives. And when that happens, it's easy, it's easy to get complacent and, and just forgetful. Now, the fact that you're listening to this podcast at all probably means that I'm preaching to the choir here, but let me say it nonetheless. This war is not over. Yes, it's looking good for the Ukrainians. They've made tremendous progress. The Russians, for their part, have made a lot of mistakes and blunders. Hundreds and hundreds of soldiers on both sides are dying every day, and many more than that are being wounded. The numbers that I hear are just staggering. The atrocities and the war crimes that Russia continues to commit stagger the mind. They, they defy all yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. I am often asked by Americans uh, where they can find reliable news sources about the war in Ukraine, those that are interested, those that are concerned. Um, And as I've said before, the very fact that this is a war means that disinformation is being weaponized by both sides. So you should be careful um, what you listen to, what is fact, what is rumor, what can be verified, even things – even reports that are backed up uh, supposedly by video and and photos and things have later been disproven. But still, if you know where to look and if you gather your news in aggregate from multiple sources, you can form a pretty clear picture of what is really happening. Um, so to that end, I've, I'm going to leave some links to a few of my favorite news sources in the show notes. These, of course, are the English language sources. For those of you who uh, speak Russian or Ukrainian, you can go much broader and you can look at the, uh, the Telegram channels and all of that. But I'll leave a few of the more mainline sources that I like to watch that hopefully uh, can be informative and helpful um, in letting you know what's going on here in Ukraine. Well, we are excited that after a break of three consecutive years, so that's two years for COVID and one for the war, 
Uh, Carpathian Mountain Outreach is back on the books for 2023. Yes. Yes. So that's been long Finally. coming, but we're excited about it. And the project is scheduled for August 8th through August 30th. So we already have one CMO applicant approved and another one is in process. Also, Nathan Day is going to be flying over to join us for that time. And several of our own children are going to be participating more, and they're excited about that. Yep. So, Josh, tell us a little bit, how will this CMO look different from the other projects that we've done, especially in light of the war going on? Right. So we've had to make a few logistical adjustments due to the war, but on the whole, CMO 2023 will be carried out in the same tradition as all the projects that have gone before. So that means we'll be conducting gospel literature campaigns, um, you know, offering people copies of the Good and Evil book, inviting people to join our Bible correspondence course. We'll be doing open-air ministry, and of course, we'll be doing outreach in the Carpathian Mountains. Now, one change uh, is that we hope to involve our family more by putting together a family music concert that we can perform in the Carpathians. Our plan is to sing a mixture of patriotic Ukrainian songs, some songs in English with translation, and of course, songs that uh, that give the truth of Christ and the gospel. It's our plan to combine evangelism and at the same time try to raise support uh, for soldiers fighting in Ukraine. Our idea is that for every person who attends our concert, the people that we invite, say, from the Carpathians or wherever, um, our ministry would match a certain dollar amount as a gift to the humanitarian uh, the humanitarian organization that we've been working with called Radakivsky Hospodeni. So when we invite people, they will know that just by just by their very attendance at the at the concert, that will mean a certain amount of money that goes to support soldiers um, fighting for the freedom of Ukraine. Um, so we're looking. This is this is kind of a new um, a new idea or a new outreach. And one of the reasons that we're doing this is that the films that we've shown in the past um, are all dubbed in Russian. And with right. the current climate here uh, and the attitude towards Russian language and so forth, doing any kind of a public presentation, whether that's a film or a concert or anything in the Russian language, is is simply a non-starter. In some cases, it might even be illegal. So showing those films with the Russian uh, language dubbed over them, as we have in the past, even though the Ukrainians could understand it fine, is just it would it would not work at all. Now those films also have Ukrainian subtitles. We could run them in English and run the subtitles, but we really feel like there is an opportunity here to leverage the the emotion and the passion that people are feeling about the war and the concern certainly for their own independence and the survival of their nation with um, the gospel and an opportunity to gather people together to speak to them to support the war effort in a humanitarian capacity, but at the same time to communicate Christ to these people through gospel messages, through the Bible First course, through good and evil books and those kinds of things. So this is a bit of a, um, uh, this will be a first time uh, try. This is something new for us, um, but we're excited about it. And still the general format of the Carpathian ministry with you know the camping and visiting different villages and towns, doing these presentations, that part will remain unchanged. So please pray with us. Um, about um, Carpathian Mountain Outreach. We're really excited for it to come back, and we're looking forward to see what God will do. Right. So the deadline to register for CMO 2023 is coming soon. So if you or someone you know is interested in joining, now's the time to act on that. Yes. So we'll, we're going to leave the application link in the show notes below, so look out for that.
Let's take a look now at the Bible First and Good and Evil Projects. Joshua, what do you have for us on those? Yes. So some of you may remember we recently put out a report um, about an evangelism campaign that is being planned in Africa to French-speaking people that live there. And we've been in contact with a missionary there in Africa, and there are a few other people involved uh, from the United States, and they're trying to put together an evangelism outreach that would leverage online ads like Facebook ads, things like that. Um, and the idea is that for people that respond to those and are interested in studying the Bible, um, we would make Bible First available in French uh, for those respondents. Now, we've not previously had Bible First available in French, but we now have a translation of it that's complete. And Nathan and I have been working really hard for our part to get that text and the various files ready into our Bible First Online platform so that it can be used in this evangelism project. And with that in mind, I want to give a special shout out to Nathan because he has done the lion's share of the work in converting the French lessons into the special plain text format, it's called ASCII doc, that we use in our online platform. Go Nathan. Yeah, he's, he's done a great job. So <laughs> um, the way this works is that initially the text, uh, the text of the Bible First Lessons was sent to a translator. Um, they translated it into, into French, and then we just got, I think it was Word files or something with the text in there. But um, our online application, Bible First, it doesn't do very well with Word files. So we need to convert that text into a special format so that the app can display the text with the various formatting and pictures and all of that. And so there's a fair amount of manual labor that has to, has to happen in order to take uh, the text of, say, a French Bible First lesson from Microsoft Word and then convert that into the ASCII doc format with all of the metadata that's that's necessary for it to run on the platform. While Nathan's working on that, I've been working more on the back end, changes that need to happen uh, so that the course is available. Um, and we're not quite finished, but we're getting very, very close. We've got the app running locally in our development builds in uh, in French, and we're looking forward to making that available and seeing what God will do there in Africa. As for the Good and Evil project, that is also continuing to go well. As a quick reminder, late last year, we printed 15,000 copies of Good and Evil in Ukrainian. That was financed by No Greater Joy, and we're very grateful um, for their partnering with us to make that a reality. Um, as of right now, we have distributed about a third of those books. The count is about 5,300 books that we have sent out. And um, these are being distributed through a distributor program that we set up at the beginning or late last year. And we right now have a little over 60 distributors that are registered in our program. So these are these might be individual missionaries, um, might be churches or Christian organizations, uh, schools, things like that, people that... Um, uh, submit requests to us for volumes of good and evil books, and then they distribute them in various ministry venues across Ukraine. Just recently, the director of a Christian organization in Lviv contacted me about a large children's event they were happening. I believe it was called The Bible Through the Eyes of a Child. And it was a, it was a large event in Lviv. It was attended by a lot of children, and there were various materials and activities. But as a part of that event, um, they gave out, I think, between two and 300 uh, good and evil books to the children that attended. So that's an example of the kind of collaboration that we have with these various distributors um, who are helping us to get these books distributed across the country so that Ukrainians can learn more about the Word of God and ultimately come to Christ. Okay, well, we've covered a lot of ground here today. So, Josh, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up here? 
Yes. Um, the last year here has been a uniquely difficult time for our family and for so many others. Uh, when, when I look back and I think about all that's happened, it's, it's sad, it's joyful, it's amazing. Uh, it's a time, it's been a time of struggle, um, but it's been a time of growth. It's been a time when we've been reminded um, of the grace of God, and I feel like we have grown even closer to the Lord as a result of, of the experiences that he's brought us through. A staggering number of people across the globe have stepped up to bless us, to encourage us, to support us financially, and your support has kept us going and has enabled us to minister to Ukrainians, both in Ukraine and in Slovakia and Poland and other places during a great time of need. And the story doesn't end here. The harvest fields are still white. The laborers are still far too few. So please continue to stand with us. Help how you can, be involved, stay alert. Our family is going back to Ukraine to do what we can, to serve, to give, and most of all, to tell the Ukrainian people about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and have a glorious day. May God bless Ukraine. Nechaj Bóg Ukrainu.